You are listening to the one of us.net podcast network. One of us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio based or banner ads, but on a case by case basis, if you're interested in that, contact us at one of at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, $5, $10, or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. Test your audio again, Eric. Uh, hi, this is Eric. Okay. Um, son of Juan. Uh, grandson of... I, what is his... He Do you not you know your grandfather's, grandfather's name? You no, no. don't know your grandfather's name. You've got two. You've got two to Answer me this question right now. Oh, I've got more than two. How, but what is your grandfather's that is, name? That is, On my dad's side, I have no idea. He died before my dad was born. Well, they see, that's, that's depressing. What yeah. is your... He was born in the 1800s, and he died before my dad was born. I do not know his name. There's, I've seen one picture of him, and it's a bad one from the side where he's looking away. Like, oh. no other pictures exist. Wow. Wait, yeah. so what is your current grandfather who's alive's name? Uh, Ross, baby. <laughs> you... No, you, no. You pause for a second. Well, no, because uh, oh, I, it feels weird calling him Ross. Yeah. Like he's because that's my grandpa. your grandfather. You don't yeah. call your grandfather Ross. Yeah. Okay. But I, I don't yeah. call my, I never called my grandparents by their names, but I knew their names. Well, not on my dad's side. I mean, I don't even know if my dad knows. Because <laughs> he, all right, so he was the product, his mother. Was your grandfather Voldemort? Is that it? They just do not speak <laughs> his name. In a way, they didn't speak his name because my grandmother was the side chick. Oh, yeah. She was a much younger woman. This guy was 60 and then knocked her up. And then nine months later, my poppy was born and his poppy exited just before. Well, I'm really glad that we recorded this. No, it's fine. <laughs> Everybody <posterity>. knows. <laughs> you think I'm going to surprise my family with this information? It's like, yeah, checks out. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I don't remember his name, honestly. Welcome to DNA.com. And we discuss our genealogies. A lot of question marks. Grace Everly and cancer. DNA. A lot of question marks in cancer. <laughs> Who's the the oldest relative that you're aware of? Like as far back as your lineage. Like where's oh. as far back as you're aware of? Great grandparents is all I can think of, and I knew one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know that my, you know, I, I know a little bit about my parents, other grand, my mother's grandparents, but I never met them. I only had one. Uh, Actually, he wasn't a paternal grandfather. It was really weird. My grandfather was raised by a different family. Mm. Uh, but he was, uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, he was our grandfather. But yeah. Yeah, the, my mom's side of the family, like, I don't know my my uh, grandfather, I guess her father's family. Like, that's a pretty, like, not well known at all. But my, my mom's mom, my grandmother, who's uh, still around... That family, I can track like hundreds of years, uh, and like they're basically all in Texas. Like we kind of know exactly who everyone is beforehand. All right, tell me their names. Oh, I can't do that. And now, are they all Polish names? No, 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 no. That's oh, the, the other side of the that's family. That's the the right side. The right side. I know. Oh boy, that's my new podcast. The right side. The right side. <laughs> well, that sounds you hate like. This. Well, no, that sounds like you're making sort of a racial declaration. The Polish side is the right <laughs> side. <laughs>
and welcome again to Trash in the Can, where we watch bad movies because I'm Baba Ben London. Uh, I know. I'm Eric Samaniego, and with me as always is my co-host, the Michael J. Pollard, to my Henry Lee Lucas. <laughs> right, Sulek. Right, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Eric. Ha- Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, so we have been away for a little bit because the holidays. The and holidays. Also, Strictly just the holidays. Everybody but, had COVID. Uh, okay. So well, we didn't do the show for a while because everybody had COVID. Yeah. Why not everybody? Like two people. But that was enough to prevent us from doing it. Yeah, I think two important people on this yeah, show. One of them was you. Okay, well, you know. And I uh, have not had it. Good for you, man. Yeah, yet. good for you. No, not yet. I, I mean... Uh, yet. I've tested. Like when I was sick and I must have had it at some oh, point because yeah. everybody around me had yeah. it. Right is the typhoid Mary of the podcasting scene. I thought I would be that important. I just didn't know it was going to be now. But yeah, I <laughs> yeah. think, uh, yeah. You you're found right. your purpose, that's finally. A, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> well, so the voice you just heard is our guest. And this is, uh, we're sort of merging the families. Oh, yeah. Uh, with our show and the uh, allofus.net. That's, it's it's the one, one of us. One of us. Dot net. One uh, I'm, to edit that. I'm just happy to be part of the family. <laughs> God damn it. So, uh, There's some, uh, whatever the fuck family it is. Uh, <laughs> so we were just talking about how we don't know the names of our other family members. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It all kind of falls Literally. in line. Like, that's an old family. This is a new family. How am I expected to know anybody? We're a blended family. Yeah. So, we're the trash in the can, one of all of us. Marco Noyola is joining us. I just saw you getting like... You swallowed <laughs> right before, like, Noyola. It's, it's a flourish. It's what people that do oratory It, it could have been do. better. You could oh, have just, really? If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably going to realize that moment where he goes, and now here's Marco Noyola. And he just <laughs> cuts it in. Well, it's not even my, my voice. It's right doing it later, doing an impression of me. Marco Noyola, baby. Uh, that's, wow, that's uncanny. <laughs> I can't believe how many people can't get my name right. They get all confused. I had a, I had a, a uh, one of those telemarketers call me once, and they're like, "Hi, I'd like to speak to Mister." And then they hung up, and I was like, "They gave up." Hey, that's a good defense mechanism. If your last name can defend you from cold callers, that's not bad. I mean, hey, look, I've done some cold calls, and you 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 practice the name before you die. You do. We've done that. She was not an expert. I definitely, when I did a cold calling job, if I, in the first moment, stumbled in any way, if it was a name or just my little spiel, like, I mean, oh, was, hello, uh, I'm... Well, and then I, I would I would just gone. hang up. Yeah. You would just hang up. I hung up all the time on people That's if I wasn't happy did. with That's how it sounded. That's why you were fired. Yeah. Well, no, I was fired because I was not doing my job, <laughs> because it was a bullshit job. Well, part of your job was staying on the line. So, yes, if you well, were look, hanging up, you were not If that had been spelled out to me at the beginning... <laughs> They literally spelled out the names for you, and you still couldn't say them. Well, not phonetically. <laughs> I mean, I can practice a name, but I can also like, practice it incorrectly. My, my name is so phonetic. It's no yo la. Yeah. It's it's literally I mean, the way it's spelled. Mar- Marco Yolo. Yeah. Marco. People people look at it like they're like no no. It's like have you ever heard of Loyola University? Oh yeah, I love that team. Yeah, it's just like Loyola, only with an N. No, yeah, yeah 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 yeah. Well, thank you, Marco Lolita. I, uh... <laughs> yes, thank, thank you thank for you, joining Thank you, Eric Humbert. <laughs> so you actually suggested the movie that we're doing today. I did. I am to remembrance. blame. Remembrance. Well, so do you want to then explain when you saw this, what made you think of it recently? Sure. So I, back in the 90s, there was this little boom of like Tarantino-esque mm-hmm. type 
uh, ripoffs. They're just gangster films with a lot of arch dialogue and quirky characters. And some people thought that was enough to make a movie. Right. Uh, and I Spoiler, do, it's not. It's not. I do vaguely recall seeing a trailer for this and wondering, what the hell is this? And then over time, I just forgot about it until about a couple months ago. I'm just randomly looking online and saw it might have been on Onion AV Club or yeah. one of those other kinds of sites going, let's talk about this forgotten 90s film that is just so bad. Apparently, as of at least looking at Wikipedia today, there's six reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, only six, and it has a 17%, and I still think that's too high. Uh, yes. This movie is... And I realize now this is a fascinating, I'm using that word very loosely, <laughs> train wreck. It's only fascinating in the sense that there are some really big, heavy hitting names from the 90s in this. And they're like, how did you get all of these people to agree to be in this horrible movie called Mad Dog Time, sometimes called Triggered or Trigger Happy? Trigger I Happy, say. yeah, yeah. And, I mean, let's let's just go through the cast list, shall we? I mean, you, you've got Larry Bishop, who is the uh, writer, director, and one of the stars. Uh, he is the son of uh, Vegas Rat Pack uh, hanger-on Joey Bishop. And maybe that's how he got all the access to these names. Sure, show oh, business family. He must have yeah, a ton of connections. He's totally. got a great Rolodex, for sure. Uh, Gabriel Byrne, Ellen Barkin, Richard Dreyfus, who is one of the producers, Jeff Goldblum. You've got Henry Silva. You've got Richard Pryor. You've got Joey Bishop himself showing up in a tiny role. You've got... Oh my God! Who uh, Diane, Diane Lane, Lane is in this? Billy Idol is in Burt this. Reynolds, Gregory Pryor. Hines. I mean, it, it's just and like Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin's in this. Uh, that uh, Richard Drago. Uh, uh, Billy Drago. Billy Drago. Thank you. And it's like a bunch of good actors who have all been in many good movies. This is the movie they probably don't talk about. Yeah, this is like, for Richard Dreyfus. this is the notch below Moon Over Parador. <laughs> Do you <laughs> remember that was, one? And yes. this was 1996, mind you. I don't know when this was made and how long it took to get released. But like all of those people, these weren't like people early in their career just happy to get a yeah, job. Yeah, this is, sure. this is like deep. Gabriel Byrne had better choices of roles. Uh, I mean, certainly Jeff Goldblum did. Like all of them also I either have... Won an Academy Award. I'm been assuming nominated. been nominated. Like these are like everyone so is it, a it great does, actor. It does have to be a situation where all right, a lot of connections with the family. Rob name. Reiner is in this. Oh, right. oh yeah, right. Because well, yeah, yeah, he was a comedy partner with Larry Bishop back when they were younger. Right. They had a stand-up act or something. So can you imagine Larry Bishop trying to be funny? Based on this movie, well, can you imagine that being funny? Can you imagine Joey Bishop trying to be funny? Oh, oh well, look, somebody thought he I was. I bet Larry Bishop's like shtick was uh, alliteration and rhyming and puns, and and everyone, it's just his laughter for the audience was just groans. You're like, oh god. Where does that uh, like the character in The Sopranos uh, that's uh, like something junior, and his whole thing is mispronouncing words and misusing words? Um, Little Carmine. Oh, I don't... Okay, well, never mind. I haven't watched Sopranos. But this is the kind of movie where there's a character named Sleepy Joe. Guess what Sleepy Joe does? He sleeps a lot. He just falls asleep it's hysterical. at inopportune moments. He's also the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, Ashley, this was who was here, movie. made a point. Fake that, movie. This movie's not that real. Trump based his personality on pieces of this <laughs> film. So he, he, oh, my Trump, God. Trump is, is the Trump's only fan of this movie. movie. <laughs> 
I, I remember this guy, Sleepy Joe. I saw him in a movie once. My, my favorite movie is Mad Dog Time. Is I, that what it's called? Mad Dog. Yeah. You know, when I, they, when, <laughs> yeah, it's easy to forget. I just forgot. I was like, wait, was it Mad Dog Time? Uh, so, yeah, okay. this movie, obviously, a lot of people either did favors or maybe Larry's a really nice guy and he's got all these connections and they were doing him a favor. It, this there's is gonna, favors back and forth. Because he'd been an actor for years. He's written some stuff. He's got a movie in pre-production. Now? According to IMDb, that I don't imagine what happened. Been, it's been, been a pre-production for 25 years. <laughs> Most of the leads are dead. I'm still trying to get Burt Reynolds a star in it. But he seems to be wanting to say something. Like, there's this whole Buddhist philosophy thing going. And what does he want to say? We should also premise this with, this is the only gangster movie that opens with a shot of space. It's like the big bang. a voiceover narration. Yeah. And talking about parallel universes and a strange world Vic's world where everything's happy and wonderful and it's, I couldn't tell it's a world full of joy it was very joyful yeah like was he said it's fucking full of he joy fuck full of joy yeah and then we cut to what appears to be uh, uh, some concept art or a set design for a nightclub and I thought oh, oh yeah they didn't have the money to actually do this and then they cut to the actual nightclub I'm like wait why did you show me the painting of it? Like, did well, was Larry, that like, Larry's like sister painted that and was like, <laughs> I promised to put it in the movie. So Larry drew a turtle on the box of a matchbook and got into that art school that you'd see on TV. And then this was his first project. I think we saw that ad on Tubi. Yeah, it was the the pirate and then the turtle. Yes, it was uh, that. And he also learned French because a Muzzy commercial came on after that. <laughs> but so yeah, we uh, are in this night, and this is the thing. The beginning of the film, I thought, all right, period piece. This is supposed to be presumably the 40s. Yeah. But there were a couple of times early on, like there's a car that is not period. That is definitely from the 90s. So what do you think this is supposed to be? Is this also part of the muddy, like this is a dream world? That could have been, but like I think it's also Uh, Batman uh, kind of idea where like 1989 Batman Right. It takes place in modern times, but like it's it has all the 40s dressed. As, yeah, exactly. So oh, I think it's okay. that kind of idea. This is a parallel universe where the 40s fashion never went out of style. Which I'm into. I, if sure. I wasn't so sweaty, I would wear a suit all the time. I would too. I yeah, really if would I was too. rich enough to wear a suit like it was tissue paper and just destroy it once I was done at the end of the day. Like, like, like there's like three or four things that are giveaways in this movie. Wright mentioned the cars. You also have Tic Tacs. I'm like, okay, I don't the know tic-tacs. how long. You mentioned the cars. I mentioned the Tic Tacs. Oh, okay. And there was now, something else. I think else. Tic Tacs were around and, in the 40s. And Richard really? Pryor's yeah. Richard Pryor's Bandit, or whatever you call those little hover-round scooters. Right. It was not the kind of thing someone oh, the, in the 40s would have. It was like a had. rascal. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. And oh, and um, and uh, Gabriel uh, Burns' accent uh, was not of this world. Uh, <laughs> well, it's a parallel world. It's, where, it's, it's a parallel world where the Italians actually settled in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> And a new dialect was born. It is so embarrassing. I just want to say this. This movie is embarrassing. Yeah. I felt bad the way that I did when I watched <laughs> movies we made in high school. It's like, like well, I yeah. feel that. It's like watching a bad like high school one-act play trying to do some kind of Shakespeare. You're just like, oh, Yeah, it's dude. like, oh, they're doing Hamlet, but they're all in gangster outfits. <laughs> it, it really felt more like if David Lynch was doing Waiting for Godot, but then had just recently watched Miller's Crossing. I, it seems, yeah, wow. it does. Yeah, that's a pretty apt description. It seems like the Larry Bishop just watched a lot of things, but maybe watched the first ten minutes of those things on mushrooms. On mushrooms. <laughs> oh yeah, and they're like, got it in and, the deserts of Vegas in the '60s, and it just scarred him for life. 
And I'm convinced this movie was made out of very long therapy sessions. I imagine like his therapist going, look, Larry, we know having a famous father with all these famous friends and growing up in Vegas, it was really weird for a kid. You know, you're conflicted. You've developed multiple personalities. You're a, you're like an entertainer, but you have this one side of and yourself no that no one has to see. You know, maybe as therapy, you should write a screenplay. And Larry said, yes, I will do that. That honestly does not yeah. feel too far-fetched. And Joey's a loud, abusive dad. Like, yeah. Joey was a very famously bitter, angry person because he never got to be the superstar he wanted to be. Like you said, he was a hanger-on. He used to guest host the Johnny Carson show. He got his own talk show that tanked immediately. He had a sitcom that tanked. And he spent his final years in all of these tracksuits giving interviews about his dead friends. This all seems legitimate. Like, this is really what happened. Yeah. Larry was traumatized, and we're watching him work out his trauma. <laughs> right. Until he's literally, I mean, buried by his own father. Yeah. 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 The, not, yeah. not, well, I yeah. should say literally. That's right. Okay, Gottlieb plays... is, Larry Bishop's real last name is Gottlieb. So technically, uh, or I'm sorry, Joey Bishop. Yeah. So technically, Larry Bishop's real name is Gottlieb. Right. Yeah. And I started to think Gottlieb Funeral Homes was a sponsor or a product placement on this movie. Because <laughs> you see it a lot. And apparently all the gangsters talk about this mythical place. You know, you're going to end up at Gottlieb's and with Jimmy the Gravedigger. And I only knew this from the Wikipedia article that Joey Bishop, who is seen for like one moment... In the back. In the background. And he says like, hello. Yeah, he's playing Gottlieb. And in his one little cameo moment, Richard Pryor is Jimmy the Gravedigger, which considering he is impaired with MS and is riding around in a scooter, he is not digging a damn thing. I don't know how. I felt so bad for Richard Pryor. Richard was, he was a cool cat. He was digging. He was digging it. He was the grave digger. Can you dig this grave (laughs) for me? Because I can't use my legs. Honestly, this all seems legitimate. It's like, this actually probably went through their fucking heads. Like, oh, no, I see. This 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 movie definitely has, it's trying to tell us something. And the way that it is setting up that maybe what we're about to see, which I didn't catch the first time around. I sort of tuned out that introduction, that monologue, because I thought, oh, this is just some weird masturbatory bullshit. We're moving on. I mean, it is. I mean, it still is. (laughs) But it's also telling us, oh, this is probably all in the head of Richard Dreyfuss, who is Vic. And And the camera work reiterates that repeatedly. I I think it is. And it's actually a little ambiguous towards the end. It's not like, it doesn't play it very clear that... uh, Jeff Goblum uh, plays Mick. Uh, Mick, Mickey, something. I forget his last name. Um, but he plays Mick. He's like basically the best gunman in the there or something. Yeah. And, and Larry Bishop plays the next best gunman. Uh, next best gunman, Nick. Nick. So you've got Vic, Mick, and Nick who yeah. are all vying for control. And then you have uh, Gabriel Burns' character who at least has the nice touch of not being named. Not rhyming with Nick. I mean, it's you know, Bob London. There was some ben other London. Oh, ben, ben London. Baba Ben London. That's and right. there's Jake, who we, after mentioning Jake multiple times, we find out is finally, uh, we finally find out he's Kyle Reynolds. No, Kyle McLaughlin. Oh, that, no, yep. Kyle McLaughlin is Jake. Jackie, Jack, wacky Jackie, but wacky Jackie. So you got a Jake and a Jackie, right? <laughs> Jackie Mardlin from the Howard Stern Show. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. then we, and Gregory <coughs> Hines is Baba Booey. <laughs> Flamingo, I think they call him. Yeah. So, yeah. Like Jeremy every, Flamingo. Jeremy. <laughs> everybody in this movie gets name dropped, and then you don't, they're 
they appear and it takes like three or four scenes before you go, oh, this is the guy they've all been talking yeah, about. Yeah, I need yeah. like name badges or something because there were too many names being thrown at me at once. And I wouldn't have been no surprised context. if that was like, if they had name badges, there was like, oh, it's a choice. Well, the one time they have because the movie in the first scene, uh, they've got... Um, oh, Pollard. Yeah, uh, so Michael J. Pollard gets shot by Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> and uh, he, the next time we see him, is a corpse, which is the second time in a movie I've seen him painted white like a corpse because he's a frozen corpse in Scrooged. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he's sitting in the front seat of this car driven Michael by J. Ellen Pollard Barkin. is also a very pale man. Oh, yeah. But and, he's, got, he's got a name badge on that said Gottlieb's Funeral Home. Right. Like, that's our first. Yeah, that's right. And there's a... There's a... Because you hate it when they send a corpse to the wrong place. I mean, you should oh, yeah. put a little, like, like you know, a forwarding sticker, a forwarding address. Well, and a toe tag is so impersonal. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but a name tag, that's classy. But that opening scene with Gabriel Byrne going to shoot him, uh, it's he's doing this fun, wacky, you know, eccentric monologue. And he's like, so you really want to, like be on Vic's good side because you know he's getting out tomorrow. But it's also impossible to understand so subtitles were turned on because oh, yeah. whatever accent he was trying to do because he's alright Irish in real life uh, he's called Ben London so presumably he's doing like sometimes it sounds Cockney yeah. but then sometimes it sounds like a New York accent yeah, yeah, like yeah. an old fashioned like Brooklyn guy. Yeah. but like what was he saying? I, I don't and know. And if you see him in Miller's Crossing, where they've already established that on the East Coast, you do have a lot of you Irish, have Irish gangsters. Yeah. He could have just been an Irish guy. They could have called him Ben Irish. It would have made a difference. And he could have just done an American accent because he can do one. Yeah. I've seen him do it. He does it great in End of Days. So this was a choice. Yeah. And, it was and a, a bad big, choice. Yeah, it was a bad <laughs> choice. Because also, his performance seems even more so than anyone else's, turned up a little bit to it's, be like he's playing in the theater. It's really weird because the the last time I've seen him play something that quirky, or I guess the only other time, was Cool World. And, oh my God, I haven't seen that in forever now. And I forget that he's like the main character in it besides Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. I've never he's seen He's the it. artist that yeah. creates Cool World and then he's sucked into the world. And like, oh, that's Yeah, weird. I mean, Gabriel Byrne in the mid to late 90s was a reliable leading man yeah and he could do camp like he's the villain well he's the devil in end of days yeah yeah yeah. and so with this it's just like it's seeing him a little too wacky like as if he is in another coen brothers movie but he's playing like the george clooney character where george clooney at least has been playing for the coen brothers like you know idiots and then this guy plays an arrogant idiot but he's not funny and he and has a Buddhist philosophy that but he shares. He, with. he also rhymes and alliterates every fucking thing that he says. Yeah. And it is so annoying. It feels like something that I've seen done, maybe in a Dick Tracy type of thing, where there's a character <laughs> with a very strong uh like well, tick. It's a it's a Coen Brothers thing. There's like there's little minor characters that will say the same line over and over again. That's like a joke that they always do in most of their movies where like, yeah, fuck them. But and like, I've seen something like, yeah, like that. fuck them. I've seen it done better. Yeah. So I'm much better. better. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So much better. Yeah. But I, I understand what they were trying to do because I've seen it. Yeah. I, like, I know what they're doing is just falling flat and on And the fact face. that I know what they're doing makes it even worse to watch. <laughs> Yeah, this really does feel like a movie that was made by a guy who got out of therapy, but he's actually an alien who was raised by, you know, a Vegas entertainer, grew up around a bunch of famous people, has kind of figured out a few things about life, but is still kind of struggling to articulate it and has tried to do it through art, but doesn't really understand what art is or how it works. But because he's a, a... 
related to a semi-famous person. He got his dad's Rolodex and called it a bunch of favors from some old family friends. And that once they got the ball rolling, they convinced other people to sign in. They're like, oh shit, so-and-so is on it. Yeah, I'll be in a movie with that yeah. guy. And suddenly it probably one. sounded, and I imagine it was Richard Dreyfus. Once mm. they got him, he yeah. got an executive producer credit. And I imagine that gave some legitimacy to the project. Yeah. But as I was talking to, uh, to as I was talking to Wright earlier, you only get that one chance in your life yeah, this to call is the in one that ticket. card. Yeah. Like, like you would resent anybody who got famous based on their parents' connections. But if they actually made a good movie, you could kind of forgive it. You know, like, you know what? It's nah. not your fault that you were born who you were. Right. You, you use the cards that were dealt you. You got dealt some pretty good cards and you did something good with it. There's a reason why this guy is not making a lot of movies because after this, Oh, man. None of these people, I bet, would ever work with him again. See, I would counter that by oh. saying I would not <laughs> resent someone for calling in all those favors that one time if they failed. Like I don't, res- I feel bad well, for Larry if he was a success. I'd begrudge him his success. Okay, <laughs> but okay. because he failed and he's Larry Bishop, it's like he's you fine. can't envy him. No, no. So I actually like him. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for not making me feel bad uh, about well, I, I, some I of my we, choices. <laughs> I think we are on the opposite sides of the spectrum here. I, I think one of us is emotionally healthy. Uh, yes, so I we, am. We don't want to spoil it for the audience. <laughs> so let's let's actually try to explain, I know this can be difficult, the plot. Must we? So It's best if you go into this cold. I, I, it, it did I honestly looked, take a while. It was hard to kind of figure out piecing it together as it went along. It, look, I don't think we could still piece it together, really. But I think that, okay, we start with Gabriel Byrne thing. He kills Pollard. And then... For whatever reason. Because, he because says, you're, you're on back on the payroll and then kills him. Right. I'm like, wait, what? And so be, the whole thing is, is that Vic, Richard Drivers' character, is getting out of... Uh, the loony bin. The loony bin. Because he's... That's what the movie says, everybody. That's not me saying that. If yeah. mental health the help is good, he... the booby hatch is what I say. <laughs> I'm sorry, you mean the nut house? <laughs> he does the only sensible, sane thing in the movie, and it happens before it even starts. He checks himself in for help. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I still don't know exactly, I guess because he... Was office? I don't even know. It doesn't He's matter. described as a paranoid schizophrenic, which I think is a clue. Yes. Yeah. Which, when you had a theory about how the movie was going to end, which we didn't officially in that way, but I do think I, you were right. Yeah, I think uh, I like to believe. That I'm sure that's this what happened. is very clear to everyone that hasn't watched this, oh, which is everyone listening to this, because no one has a Tubi account. So, <laughs> I, I think all, even the flash, not the flashbacks, but like there's weird dissolves where they dissolve to just a solid field of color. Oh, that's and so, then it's so odd dissolves choice. Into but that's something that Ingmar Bergman did in Persona, which is also kind of about these oh, personas. Oh, yeah. So I kind of feel oh. like Larry Bishop, like, Persona did that. Like, oh, it's like people in their personas. I swear to God, I'm right. Like, and, I yeah, bet it's all no, in. No, I, I think this you're right. Feels like for a the first time on the show. And Lucretia. Well, for the first time on the show, I agree with your theory about oh, what the movie was about. Because I think right he's been right. right the whole time. This is the groundbreaking. I know. Uh, excuse me. Correct about a theory, yeah. <laughs> but but again, just referencing those much better films doesn't make a good movie. <laughs> oh no, we know we've done it. You know, so, evidently, 
Jeff Goldblum was there the entire time uh, next to Pollard, which it didn't didn't cut to him when no. he was killing him. And uh, and he's like, you're not going to kill me because I know where Grace is. Mm-hmm. Who's so, Grace? Grace? We don't know. We won't know. Not and yet. we won't see her for a long time. For an hour. The last 20 minutes of the movie? So Grace Everly is Diane Lane. And mm-hmm. she is the sister of Ellen Barkin. The Everly sisters. Rita. Like yeah. the Everly brothers, only the Everly sisters. <laughs> I'll bet you Joey Bishop opened up for the Everly brothers, and it was like the best day Larry Bishop ever had. He was like, man, those guys were cool. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. One of day cr- I'm going to write a terrible movie <laughs> and name characters in their honor. The crowd showing up for the Everly brothers having to sit through a Joey Bishop monologue before the show. <laughs> you know, it was a rough time, man. It's I, like the, uh, the other people that were on the Sullivan show when the Beatles were also on. <laughs> yep. You mean I play after the Beatles? Uh. Have you seen the episode? It is rough. Yeah. There's a there's a, a, a married or excuse me a married couple, a husband and wife duo that do a com- they did a comedy team. They're not very famous, but they like work the circuit yeah. in Vegas and uh-huh. everything. And they go on before the Beatles, and people are cheering during their performance, screaming out like Paul. Yeah, John. Yeah, it's it's bad. I mean, the oh, Beatles man. were annoyed when people did that. So imagine if someone, if you're in a different act altogether, they're like, "Fuck!" They're still calling. Well, them. and <laughs> the Ed Sullivan Theater, which we've been in, yeah, is tiny. Can you imagine that? It's, that wave of screaming happening while you're trying to do a comedy it's, bit. It's extraordinarily tiny, and to think that there were that many people there, and it's just like screaming, screaming at the top of their lungs, and yeah. like. Uh, anyway, sorry. I thought that was a more interesting story than uh, that <laughs> of the, the film. one movie we actually saw. Yes, yes, so, I agree. So. So since Jeff Goldblum, uh, Mick's character, knows where Grace is, who happens to be the ex, or at least Vic's girlfriend, who is also pregnant and she's in hiding because he went to the loony bin and she's afraid of him. And it's it's not clear what he did to her, but he did something to scare her away. It sounds like that he had like an episode. Right. Even though Diane Lane never appears scared in this movie. No. No. Cool as a cucumber. And and also Richard Dreyfuss is cool as a cucumber when he gets out. Yeah. We don't see him acting crazy. He, He does say that he's gotten some help and he's gotten some medication and he's learned how to deal with some of it. But so we don't really see him when he's actually interested. Why would you hire Richard Dreyfus to play a character that's mentally ill if we don't get to see some of that famous Dreyfus breakdown? He's like, you get any better suggestions? Like I was waiting to see, yeah, I was waiting to see Being what about crack. Bob, Richard Dreyfus show up. Yes, yeah. exactly. It, but again, wasted, I think, wasted. I'm still convinced that <laughs> I'm wasted. And, and I have to give credit to, to Wright for this because yes, I think yes. he's the first person to yeah. articulate the idea that, you know, Vic, Mick, Nick, they're all aspects of the same persona. And I think Vic is, oh, excuse me. I think, I'm sorry, I'm used to gesticulating people. I move my hands. I talk with my hands. It's okay, we do the same thing. I'm doing this Italian gesture, even though I'm not Italian. And neither is Gabriel Byrne, but that doesn't stop him. Mason Vigora, would you like some pasta? (laughs) (laughs) Food is always after me, Manicotti. But I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that is the clue to, they describe him as a paranoid schizophrenic, but I think Vic is sort of the one that's kind of reasonable, even though he's crazy. And this is kind of a whole movie of him trying to reconcile all of his various personas who mm. all want to kill one another. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, he's the real him, and he's the reasonable, rational one. And then the more reckless part is uh, Bob London, Ben London. Oh my God! Wait, you think Ben ego... London isn't a part of it too? Like this is all people like a part of his ego. No, Ben, ben London is the id or the closest to the id, and then you've got the ego, and then Dreyfus is the super ego, which Ben's would part make of sense. Him. But except you think so? I thought like Nick, it was Nick. No, but they're all part of him. Yeah, 
And Ben is part of him. Yeah, this I is a movie like. you're kind of now blowing my mind yeah. thinking about. Like, what? But he's he's that. But his name doesn't that, rhyme. Right. But that's the thing. Because that's my only argument. Is like, but his name doesn't rhyme, man. It, it, it doesn't fucking make any sense. But just like uh, everything that we're watching, I guess, is part of him. Even the ladies. Right. We never really get a sense of the city that they're in. We are, we are literally in like two or three nightclubs, the basements of said nightclubs, the street in front of the nightclub. It's very interior driven. Wait, is this movie good? And I don't know now. And the old, because <laughs> this is driving me crazy because I'm thinking about this. Like, wait a minute. I don't, I, I cannot believe this. There's, there's only like 50 people in Vic's world. Right. But I cannot believe that Bishop, it was that clever. Like, it doesn't feel like he's oh, clever. Oh, he wasn't. No, but, I mean, clearly because we're not sure. But, right, right. But if he were smart, though, we would know. It's getting me to think these things. And still, like, it's ambiguous enough at the end where I think there's, like, I think he pulled off the whole paranoid, like, schizophrenic stuff. And now I'm like, did that actually all work? Is Larry Bishop imagine, our life coach? Imagine David Lynch without any talent. Because David Lynch Done. without talent <laughs> would simply be a mess of a movie. And the thing is, David Lynch's movies, even though they're fucked up and weird, they make a kind of emotional sense. You never feel like, oh, this guy's just trying to pull one over me. I think Larry Bishop is kind of swinging at the same fence, yeah. but he doesn't have the tool set. Even the beginning reminds me of the opening of The Elephant Man, which also has that sort of, you know, you're starting out in the universe and yeah, then moving yeah. down into the world and you're focusing on this one little person who is a avatar for the filmmaker himself. So like, this is a guy who saw some gangster films. He saw some Lynch films. He saw Bergman's persona. He's seen and he 10 thought, movies. He's seen 10 movies. And he thought <laughs> I could work out my personal issues through the language of cinema based on the 10 films I've seen. And certainly I can do just as good with this amazing cast and crew I could put together only he couldn't. So let's talk about also another little piece. It's not important, but another portion where he thought like, man, I'm fucking clever. Uh, uh, this is something you haven't seen before. Yeah. The way that the gangsters duel. Uh-huh. Oh, God. Uh, it took a minute to figure out what was going on, too. Uh, okay. So they're they're dueling in what looks like an airplane hangar, sort of? No, well, no, 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 no. Oh, that's a separate it's, it's location. It's the basement of the oh, D. The they keep that's calling right. it the D. And again, nothing's explained. Until Larry Bishop see... coined that phrase, everybody. You're <laughs> yeah. welcome. Until you see a shot I of the door. That that I don't know if he sounds like that. Grace, the he gr was in the movie. You Grace's know what he sounds DNA. like. Hey, my name is Larry Bishop. There Larry... is a club called Grace's DNA. So what does that mean if this is all in Richard Dreyfuss's head? Grace's DNA. Why is the club called Grace? Because she's pregnant. Everly's and DNA. And that place represents... The Baby, womb. The womb. And in the basement is where his sperm murder one another for supremacy. Well, I mean, that certainly tracks. I just blew your mind. I, I could damn. see it. Because here's the thing. this All of this is stupid. Everything we're saying dull. is so no, stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, I legitimately think that Larry Bishop's like, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, so this represents the sperm fighting each other to actually, you know, insert themselves into the egg to make a baby. And, you know, it's Grace uh, Everly's DNA. And I'm like, I really don't, I'm not, I, I think no. he's, this is what actually happened. This is the most I've thought about a movie we've done on the show <laughs> in a long time. So, so what they do is they Whoa. sit at, they sit at like ornate desks across from each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like on nice like rugs. So he and comes downstairs and meets Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin, who's like a sniveling uh, 
lieutenant, I guess. And also, everybody who, works for Vic, apparently. Uh, right? Yeah, it's unclear their roles exactly, except yeah. for uh, Sleepy Joe, Henry Silva, who He's, seems like the conciliary, like the right hand man to the Godfather. Maybe, I guess. But yeah. but uh, okay, so Jeff Goldblum rides over to D's in a car driven by Ellen Barkin, so we know that they're in cahoots. Oh, in the yeah. back seat with him is Gregory Hines and the corpse of Jay Pollard, Henry J. Pollard. Yeah, Michael J. Michael J. Pollard. Henry Lee Lucas. All the Pollards and all and the so, Henrys. So they go they go there. They go into the basement. There's these two desks. They're all done up, ornate. They've got big leather chairs. And who's, and who's sitting there? <laughs> Who is sitting there, Marco? Oh, oh my goodness. You're not ready for the uh, the Mad Rebel Yell. We've got Mad we got the Rebel Yell and the Mad Dog coming together. It is Mr. White Wedding himself, Billy Fucking Idol. More. Why? I don't know. Must have been buddies with Maybe Larry, he was shooting right? a video in the studio next door. They're like, hey, Billy, would you like to come in for here and uh, just do a cab? He's like, yeah, sure, fine. why not? I, and it was know. one of Billy's benders, so he doesn't know he's in the movie. <laughs> he doesn't even remember. He's like, oh, I should have even gotten a check for that. He's like, yes, Billy, you should have, but you were really high when you made it. <laughs> you signed away your rights. Also, there's no money coming from this. <laughs> Ten so- people signed. Only ten people have seen this movie, and three of them are recording a podcast about it right now. <laughs> we just paid two cents to somebody's residual check. You're welcome, Billy Idol. Uh, so, if you ever want to see a movie where Jeff Goldblum actually kills Billy Idol, this this is it. And uh, and that's the thing is like everything is so slow with like, all oh, the kills. God. It's not going to be movie... like a, a simple like straight up kill. It's like they are staring at each other. They either they sitting talk down about a lot. They yeah. talk about it a lot. There's so much monologuing in this movie. Oh fuck! And it's monologues that, even on paper, would look stupid. There, it's like a dumb person teaching a philosophy class. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and, and you know the thing is, I, I'm sure uh, uh, everybody talks about like, oh, you know, uh, apparently, God, it's so confusing talking about this movie. Apparently, Mick who is the Goldblum character, is like the hired gun. He is the guy whose job it is. He's like... He's hired, just a hitman. Yeah. He's like the hitman, or this movie ver- this movie universe's equivalent of a hitman. Yeah. And Billy Idol is kind of an up-and-comer. And then later on, we'll meet uh, the Larry Bishop character, Nick, who is supposed to be the even faster guy. All these guys sit in monologue for five minutes about how fast they are. Uh, and then they, the guns are on the table and they just talk. And, and, and you're like, just fucking shoot him already. It reminds you, like, no matter how good an actor is, if it's bad writing, they cannot save it. No, and it's it, it's very obvious it's that Larry hard. Bishop was like, you stick to the fucking script. Yeah. And like That is my heart and soul. I put everything in my life into this script. And they're like, okay, yeah. so long as the check clears. The only like improvs were Jeff Goldblum's uhs and uh, yeah. uh, ooh. Uh, and ums. his mm's. And Wait. his... Okay. His stammering, basically. His stammering, but also, Jesus Christ, he wanted to fuck the Christ out of Ellen Barkin. This movie does have some real hardcore horny stuff, which makes me think that if we're talking about this in the head of Richard Dreyfuss, that his sexual... Like, his sexual being is Jeff Goldblum. I think the Everly sisters are also... By Cameron, they're split. It, it's like because he sons. says like night it's the and Ma- day. It's the Madonna horror oh, thing. That's the right because he's and, involved and he with says, both I, of them. I, yeah, and Mickey, the part of Vic that is fucking both of them, but one of them he knows by day and one he you're, knows you're by so night. Angry, right? <laughs> exactly, he spends days with one and nights with the other. Yeah. This is making me mad because I kind of like what he was trying to do. I yeah. think like it, it's like I see it. It's just stupid. Yeah, yeah. like cheating on the on a woman with the same woman. <laughs> like but if I met him at a bar. 
and I recognized him and we spoke and we both had drinks and he explained the movie to me. I bet I would like it. I bet I would like it a little bit more. Yeah. I'd yeah. be like, you know what? I know, you're, you're, yeah, I know what you're going for. And we also might be right, like 100% right about what he was trying I to do. I think we're for. right. I think we're right. Is he on Twitter? I really need to like <laughs> find out. Because this is going to drive me crazy. Right. I can't find anything about anybody analyzing, talking about this movie, like that was involved. No, all I oh. want to do is talk about this right. movie. And, and, and think about it, like the idea, and, and believe me, the first time you see it, it's clever, it's interesting, but you're going to see it a lot. This setup happens a lot. They go to the club, they talk, they There's threaten. three they go, sets. They go downstairs, they go into the room that has the two desks. Those desks are pristine. I imagine someone comes in and patches up the bullet holes every night, and they sit at opposite sides of the desk. They talk about how fast they are, how mm -hmm. cool they are, and then eventually someone shoots and dies. I don't understand why he thought this was a good idea, but I get why it's a clever one-off, but to see it mold... Here's what I think happened. What? I think if you were hanging out with Larry Bishop, probably tripping balls you know in the in the desert outside of vegas back in the 60s or 70s and you're just like talking with him and he's like you know man uh, he's like hitting that big fat j and he's like you know <laughs> dudes behind desks kill way more people than gangsters with guns right. ever have uh, and then one day he thought i am gonna put that in a movie and i'm like what does it have to do with the movie nothing what does it have to do with capitalism or you know the horrors of authoritarian government i don't know but he just had this image of like guys in desks literally shooting at each other it's like poetry dude and he shows it to us over and over and over and it's clever once by the second time you're like jesus this is going really long and by the third time it's interminable oh uh, uh it's like the years in a marriage <laughs> So I found Larry Bishop on Twitter, but I don't know if this is the right one because it's all retweets, and the last original tweet is just "fuck my pillow." <laughs> so I hope that I am I convinced that is him. I was also that it had nothing to do with the my pillow guy. It's just like "fuck my, my pillow." pillow. <laughs> it's a confession. Is, yeah, exactly. Is he angry at his pillow? Or does he really like his? You pillow? need to reach out. He's like Larry. Hit me up. We need to talk about this fucking movie. <laughs> There's two Larrys, and this is my favorite of the two that I found on Twitter. <laughs> I hope this is not hit Larry Bishop, <laughs> and we just get him on the show anyway. What hit do you think me of this? Up like you hit your pillow? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, it's probably going to be a Larry Bishop, and he'll go, "Oh yeah, I made that movie," and he'll totally fool you. And then, like you know, three weeks later, you'll go. That's not the Larry Bishop who made this movie. He just convinced me for three weeks that he was. He used the guy that was the other, the character he was playing that was the fake character he was playing. Yeah. God. You're not you, you, and you're not me. And then, um, So, I'm lost. Okay, okay well, well, sure, that's that's normal. So, uh, <laughs> we'll get through this together. So, Ben London, he is just pissed because when Vic finally comes back, well, let's watch, let's talk about Richard Dreyfuss's entrance into the movie because he sure. just got out of the, the, the loony bin mm -hmm. and Angie Everhart is there. And uh, for some reason, they, I guess it was the mid 90s. <laughs> they kick open, you know, uh, the red carpets, and there's a whole, like, everyone is there for his grand entrance, and he comes in kind of disheveled. And in, in the, a bathrobe, in and, a bathrobe, and a, in white pajamas, he he looks like he literally came out of the loony bin, like yeah. straight from the asylum to the club yeah. without even bothering to get dressed. And then Didn't he has the hair. audacity to be offended that people are treating him like he's crazy. I'm like, dude, you could have made a better impression. Yeah, because Kyle McLaughlin is sitting at a table, gives him a gift, and he goes, "Join us for some." Uh, 
for some Thorazine. 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 And like, ah, you're a funny, funny guy. And he does that thing where you sort of pretend punch somebody in the chin. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. you. And uh, when he gets back to his office, he opens up the gift, and it's a straight jacket. You're yeah. like, <laughs> like, but yeah, again, but he also, wasn't helping his case. His hair was must. He was in those crazy PJs. But it also was like we, we talked. You said this uh, like when Ben London was having. Uh, I cannot wait to talk about that scene um, when he was having his singing fit. Oi! <laughs> uh, and uh, but you think when like these characters are brazenly just like pissing off their boss like what are you doing yeah because they sense weakness i suppose i guess but i was like also it's like he could just have you killed like what do you what are you trying like i had to hurt my feelings never mind i'm gonna go home and like what do you what do you expect to happen yeah it, it's really <laughs> weird richard they, kind for a second <laughs> why would they do this <laughs> I, I i think all of these parts of the persona want dominance in some way or the other. Oh God! Oh, they're and, vying to take over vying his to takeover. Pro- oh, and you know, Jesus. any like, and, and the thing is, so who's Richard Pryor's character then? <laughs> well, it's an extension of his father, who is the if the Gottlieb is played by Joey Bishop, and he mm. is the Undertaker, the guy who runs the funeral home, and Jimmy the Gravedigger is Richard Pryor. I mean, look, Would I don't be Sammy. So look, Richard I'm just is trying, the comedy maybe, icon. He, so yeah. his father is this comedian that's going to be the death of him, and the greatest comedian of all time, in his estimation, is the one that's going to bury him. Oh my God! Right. I can tell that Larry but would he's say al- that. But he's also, but you know, it kind of all got ruined by the fact that Richard Pryor had MS. He's probably like, you know, Richard, you're really not fitting the analogy. Can you please? It's like I got to right. sit down. He's like, okay, fine. They've got, it's like they didn't have the budget to do some George Lucas shit. <laughs> <laughs> can't be like Christopher Lee, you know, doing a fucking fight with Yoda. I mean, can you imagine like a Richard Pryor's head digitally placed on top? On a Yoda body? <laughs> actually, they could have just, they could have placed it on top of Paul Anka's because at least the color match. Oh, okay. boy, yeah. We'll, we'll... Let's get to that scene here soon. But, uh, oh, God, I can't wait. <laughs> that scene is a masterpiece. Uh, it it's is a piece. It's a piece. Emphasis. Uh, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say. Oh, no. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, wait, what was the scene we were talking about? Um, he's got in, uh, Vix just got into the cl- nightclub. He's oh, got him out of the yeah. loony bin. So they, they, he gets the straight jacket. He basically tells Jeff Goldblum, like, okay, I want you to be my right-hand man now instead of just being a contract killer. And Ben London is like, I've been out of shape about it. And because uh, he wants to... Kill I guess he wants Vic. To, well, he wants to be the boss. He wants to be the boss, and like because that's also a trope in all mob movies when there's and, the, competition. The, there, there is that trope, but I've never seen a movie where the story and the the underling characters are, again are so open about. Yeah, fuck you, boss. Yeah, in any mob movie, like excuse me, everybody's lying it's, until they're caught. Yeah, and like it's always like done in the shadows when they're like, yeah, you know, Vic, he doesn't know fucking know what he's doing anymore. He's crazy. He's a movie. Yeah, this I is, mean, it's like in The Godfather. He goes, the guy who comes with you to set up the meeting that's going to be the traitor yeah and that's what right. happens here it's like everyone's like hey i'm totally going to kill you it's like i'm not even trying to be your friend before yeah. i betray you it's it's so blatant and it's a weird like gentleman's agreement because we only kill each other for the most part if we monologue and we're sitting at it, a desk yeah unless you're burt reynolds uh well that's true but he's, he's the wild card he's the wacky one he's yeah. wacky jack he doesn't jacky. follow the rules because he doesn't give a fuck so he's he also a spooky skeleton <laughs> where, oh where yeah are his teeth because he, he must have dentures, and yes. he didn't have the right ones yet. Because I saw him after this in movies, yeah. and he didn't look as spooky. Look, the, if anything good came out of this horrible, horrible movie, it probably gave 
Burt Reynolds enough money to buy some new dentures. Yes. Yes. You know, he was like, well, you know what? Why did you do that for these, my teeth? Well, and he, he, this is one of his facelifts, where that thing where the facelift isn't worn in yet. This, and it's like I saw it, the bags under his eyes, and they were his nipples. <laughs> you also have to remember, this was that period in the late 80s, early 90s, where Burt Reynolds lost a lot of weight. And like yeah, people yeah. thought he was very sick. People were saying he had AIDS. Yeah. You know, he didn't have a lot of friends in the business anymore. And he was kind I can of, tell. he did not have, I mean, at some point he's fucking posting <coughs> Pictionary. Look, I know you think, you know, at some point an actor's career hit a bottom. I thought hosting Pictionary was the bottom. It turns out that this movie was probably the bottom. And then he does Boogie Nights and then he goes back to the bottom to working with Yui Bull. I mean, the oh, trajectory yeah. of Burt Reynolds' career is so strange and tragic because I only remember Burt Reynolds as one of the biggest stars in the world. And to see him in this, I'm like, how are you in this movie? How, why is well, anyone in this movie? It did seem movie? like he was the only one who was having a lot of fun with it. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I because he was going to get new dentures okay? out of trying it. To find he was something. having fun. Well, and this is, <laughs> like, like you said, I can't wait to get those teeth. The yeah. era with the National Enquirer, that whole situation, like he very famously, and he got sued, <laughs> but there was a big Christmas tree in Florida at the National Enquirer headquarters back in the 90s, uh-huh. and he had 30 pounds of manure dropped from a helicopter <laughs> on their Christmas tree. Really? Oh, yeah. That it's, is so on brand for yeah, Burt Reynolds. Like, this is the thing. Like I've seen some of his movies that I don't love. I also love him in certain movies. He's, he's been in one he's, of the movies that we've done for the show. But he's also just like a character. And all those stories about him that uh, don't feel a little rapey are fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Because there are definitely some stories like, oh, we, we Grandpa, should also, you shouldn't be saying this out loud. We should also warn you, this is that rare film with Burt Reynolds where the mustache is off, which just yeah. makes it more discomforting. And it's a little see weird. see teeth a mile away. Because and... I haven't seen him without a mustache as an older person. Like, it, as a young man, like, he's in, uh, what, the, the longest yard and stuff. He doesn't yeah. have a mustache. Yeah, yeah. But I've never seen the skeleton face without yeah. it. No, it's pretty fucking frightening. And, you know, it's... <laughs> he looks like an apple left on a radiator with those yeah. teeth and no mustache. I, I mean, at one point, at one point, I kind of froze him and he was kind of an... He's not even the most unnatural orange-looking person in this movie. Oh, but at, well, we'll get But there. at one point... No, no, that's not orange. That's brown. But as far as... as there's a moment where I, he is wearing a, a hat. He's dressed like a gangster. He's smiling madly with his dentures and to, firing to Henry the screen. Silva, yeah. Henry Silva. And I'm like... He looks like the Joker. Like you he could did. cast him as the like, Joker, and his shit. top lip disappears yeah. for a minute when he just stays in that pose that, like, for a while, gum, like he, sort of thing. He, uh, which I think his his lips stuck to the denture grip. <laughs> he's like the budget version of Jack Nicholson's Joker without the makeup. Yeah, because at this point he would oh have been God. much cheaper than Jack. And it's oh, and, significantly. And yeah. also, uh, uh, the Joker's name in the, the 1999 and also is he Jack left Napier. Yeah, and, and this is Wacky Jackie. Yeah. There you go. Another connection. Does it make any sense? I wonder if they were going for a hey, play this a little like Jack. And I'll bet you he's and he really put in his big off. dentures. I'll bet you he did it because he knew he left his last pair of dentures at Jack Nicholson's house. <laughs> and, and in Jack, Angelica Houston. And, and Jack won't even look for them. He's like, are they there? No, I can't see. Like, did you even look? I can't see him. Fuck. I ha- <laughs> well, take off your sunglasses and look. He's like, God damn it, I have to go make this shitty movie now with Joey Bishop's kid just so I can buy some new rep- replacement dentures. God damn it. Isn't Joey... De- uh, my, my Jack Nicholson sounds like Paul Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> you make me want to be a better man. <laughs> 
<laughs> Don't ever rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> well, I have, honey. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. What, I'm sorry. What movie were we talking about? <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the craziest scene maybe I've ever seen. Because so, it goes on for maybe... 10 minutes. <coughs> so it's very long. Scene. Dreyfus throws himself a little welcome back party. Yeah. Like you do. Yeah. Gabriel Byrne. He's got a special surprise for him. Oh, and man. the surprise is not what I was expecting. <laughs> so he introduces his character. I think his name is Billy or something like that. Danny. Yeah. Uh, Danny. Danny. Like Paul Anka. Paul Anka comes out to sing my way. But the thing of it is. <laughs> so we mentioned a tan earlier. And I, uh, well, I said when we watched it. And he was on. Because at first... I thought it was Billy D. Williams. <laughs> because he's so... It's not even the orange tan. It is caramel it's, it to... It is brown. It is brown. Yeah, it, it is brown. It, it is a symphony of brown. Yeah. There's it so is like a symphony tones. bar that is brown <laughs> chocolate. And he looks like he's auditioning for the all-Italian production of Raisin in the Sun. <laughs> No, he looks like a raisin in the sun. It's well, crazy. Well, he's got he's his hair grown out brown. in the back, so yeah. he looks a little like Al Sharpton after his weight loss. <laughs> the weird thing is, I've seen photos of Paul Anka from this era, and I don't remember him looking. This this looks like he was like, oh, I'm making a movie? Well, I got to look good. And he's like, I'm going to go and uh, get some bronzer, and I'm going to go to the tanning bed, so well, I'll look well, good for my movie Paul, performance. what'd you do? And they're like, it's too late. It's like... And I'm we thinking, can't change the lighting, I guess. It's, it's like, like we can't whiten him up. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh, boy. Right. Yeah, uh, can we do the white face? The reverse Jolson on him? <laughs> <laughs> but, so, but it looks like they caught him after, he like called him on vacation in Hawaii, like you got to get back immediately, but he'd also been standing in a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> no, what happened is he was in Maui reading the script for this movie. And then he uh, fell asleep while reading the screenplay and then woke up like six days. hours later. He's like, holy fuck, I burnt as hell. You know, that's why you only see it from the front because he was lying on his back. And you turn him around, he's completely pale on the backside. I, I, mean, I would be fascinated, again, to talk to Larry Bishop. Like, okay, the, Paul Anka, what the hell was that? Like, like, what are you talking you about? You all knew something was, was wrong, very right? Dark. He's like, he was? <laughs> there was a mole? Oh, I mean, I'm not kidding. He does look like he is wearing brown face. Yeah, it's like it's weird. It's bad tanning. I'm sure it's bad lighting. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, for fuck's sakes, will someone please powder this man and get him to a more natural hue? So the the scene altogether is very strange because yeah, the, it's a welcome back party. They're all sitting at tables, and then Ben, who like we were saying earlier, is very very jealous of Jeff Goldblum, and he wants to be the boss and blah blah blah. And he brings out Paul Anka, and they're singing my way. And it's very awkward, because then Gabriel Byrne starts to chime in every now and then with singing, with like little lines that are like slightly improvised. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the, the chorus of my way, it's my way. He says, it's Ben's way, with yeah. his vague Irish-Italian-American accent. and It's Franco-Italian-European-Dutch. <laughs> it's, and it's just like, and I can't tell, it was like, was it on purpose to be that awkward? Because it also cuts back to Richard Dreyfus pensively just like looking at this. Yeah, and it's like, he's of, pissed. Yeah. And the thing is, like we were saying earlier, it's like, oh, it's a very long scene. It really is, because it's a whole they, song. It's they a whole sing song. the whole song. 
Was Paul Anka looking upset that, uh, you know, he Gabriel keeps Byrne jumping, like in jumping in to the yeah. song? And, and ruining his song, which he wrote, but the, the, I think he put up with it because I'm pretty sure that the only person who made any money off of this movie was Paul Anka because they had to pay him for the rights to that song. Yeah. Well, which yeah. The other thing is all the songs in the soundtrack are either sung by Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin, which is another one of those like, Call dad in called in a favor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just like, can f- he probably said, because Sinatra was still alive. He was like, oh, yeah. could Frank come out? He's like, fuck no. Frank says we do can't this. get His Frank to do Paul it. Anka. He's like, well, can we get Dean? Dean's practically retired. Sammy's dead. Who else? Well, Tony Bennett, nah, he's got too much class. He'll and they never do it. And you know they what? Didn't want Paul Peter, Anka, he didn't looks want like Peter a Lawford. fucking coconut. Get him on the fucking phone. I'll bet he'll do it. He'll he do it for like a, a sandwich and 50 bucks. <laughs> God. And he did, and you know, but it was awkward because it, it kind of felt like they didn't tell him, like, oh, like, that oh, Gabriel Byrne's going to do that, like, like chime yeah. in, like every once in a while, Byrne's going to sing. Didn't with tell him that. No, he would have stopped. No, he kept going. No, because he's like, keep going, like keep going. Because Larry's probably behind the camera. He's like, just, just go, just go. And uh, and oh my god, we 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 have to talk to Gabriel Byrne about this movie. He's like, dude, what, what, what happened? Well, this is crazy. Wait, wait, we can't get to Larry Bishop. Like, what makes you think we're going to get to Gabriel Byrne? What is he doing? Working. Yeah, yeah he's still working. I he, know. Back in the I'm day, like he, I mean, he was doing Ellen Barkett. I mean, I'm thinking, dude, you worked yeah. with the Coens. You were in all kinds of great movies. You were in, He worked you know, in Ellen Barkin? You were, yeah, Jesus. You, know, you were married to Ellen Barkin, which is so weird because it's like the whole movie is everybody just leering at his wife, including him, yeah. which makes it extra weird. And, and you know, yeah, and, and the fact that like Jeff Goldblum is the one who's hooking up with Ellen Barkin the entire movie. Like when they're standing at the the coat check at the nightclub, like, and he's in her from it. behind, yeah. and he's got his hand on the front of her dress. It was this it, movie was a little horny. A little. I mean, it made me a little horny because <laughs> <laughs> some of it was actually kind of hot. I've never seen, I guess, Jeff yeah. Goldblum like do that before like really I mean, like you've throw never her seen on top ellen, of a car with her legs open you've never a, seen an ellen dress. barkin movie because really during right. the 90s ellen barkin was just grinding and getting naked the whole time oh yeah and she, she had me a, barkin she has a she's a now great like actor a movie. she's a great actor but oh, there was is. a lot of times where you know you kind of felt like uh when i was 14 i didn't feel the same way but now i'm like yeah she there was probably a better use of her talent in this movie <laughs> but at least she got more screen time than diane lane right yeah Who's and, in it at a blink, yeah. basically. So the Angie Everhart, <clears throat> who is just like a model with almost no dialogue, spends more time in this movie than movie than Diane Lane, who is ostensibly the purpose of everything happening on screen. Well, let's okay. Then Gabriel Byrne, mm-hmm. he t- basically tells Paul Anka. Uh, Paul Anka just like gives up and he leaves. leaves. Yeah. yeah. And then Richard Dreyfuss gets up. Is like, wow, I think we could say that's the definitive version of the song. Uh-huh. And then Gabriel Byrne, basically, again, the same thing that like Kyle yeah. McLaughlin was doing. It like, just says, just talk to you. Also, you got to remember, before that, he says, well, thank you, everyone, for coming. And all of the extras leave. Yeah, yeah everybody yeah. Yeah, Everyone's like, okay, we sat through this and we know... Like, even though these people are all figments in the imagination of a mentally ill schizophrenic, even they know we got to get the fuck out of yeah. here. This this is bad. So well, it's it's like uh, they all found out that their uh, checks bounced at the same time. <laughs> we can't like, pay anyone today. Like, no, no, no. What they found was like, you might, if you get to the bank before anybody else, I've been in this ex- situation where like, did you get your check? Oh, yeah, I got my check. Go cash it now. 
well, I'll just wait in the morning. No, go deposit it now. Because if you don't, there's a good chance there'll be no money in the bank tomorrow. Oh, so I God. think that's how you got rid of all those extras. They're like, right. go deposit now because uh, Larry may not have any money tomorrow. We just blew all of that money hiring Paul fucking Anka looking like Sanka. That should be Paul Sanka. That's what it should be. He looks like a cup of instant coffee. <sighs> so, so just a quick diversion. Okay. With people leaving, like a crazy person having people inside his head that leave. Uh, the guy that killed John Lennon had a whole group of little people that he called them that lived in his head that he would talk to and they would help him budget money and things. And he was trying to get them to help him get to New York to kill John Lennon. Uh-huh. And he finally told them. And the little people in his head that had been there since he was a child said, we uh, can't stop you from doing it, but we're not going to help you. And they all walked out of his head. They left. Like the extras in this movie. I would like to thank wow, all is... the little people, except those that fucking bailed didn't on me. support me. When I needed them the most. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. I was just, re- I was just reading about that recently, so I thought I would you mention know, really, it. You know, really. the last podcast on the left? The, no. Oh, God. <laughs> the, little people, the little people should have just, like, done a switcheroo on him going, yes, we booked you a ticket. Uh we booked, oh, you said New York. Oh, we booked a ticket to New Jersey. And they could have saved John Lennon's life. And they could have killed Joey Bishop instead. <laughs> they could have, been, and it all comes back. I wonder if like, the little people are still alive, just like sitting around somewhere, and someone else has like, you know, we could have done something about John Lennon. Like, I mean, yeah. the world could have had pretty John fucked up, right? Yeah. Like, like, we just left him here, and like, you know, we, were help- we were helping him the entire time. He- we did his taxes for 28 years. And we just said, like, okay, dude, you're crazy. But yeah, there was one in charge of math that would help him budget for trips and things. And that was the one that he finally confessed to. And uh, he's standing in his kitchen having this conversation and his wife is just vacuuming like, okay. It's like, dude, I'm just your imaginary accountant, okay? Why are you telling me this But imagine being so crazy that your imaginary friends are like, dude, I'm out. Yeah, you're like, that's kind of what happens here. Everyone's like, oh. That's that's fucked up. So much like Richard Dreyfuss in this film. Yeah, the primary uh, 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 personalities are fighting amongst themselves. So let's let's just all leave. So uh, then Gabriel Byrne keeps goading... Richard Dreyfuss is like you're you're crazy. Uh, Jeff Goldblum wants to kill you, and to, you know because he's fucking your girlfriend, and mm. he's like saying all this shit. And like, what do you think is going to happen, Gabriel Byrne? Like, he's going to fucking kill you. He doesn't even pull a gun on him before he's doing this. He's just standing yeah. on stage. And when Richard Dreyfuss is saying, "Pack your bags, get out of town," he says, "No, yeah. no one tells me what to do. I'm Baba Ben London," and yeah. he shoots him in the knee, then the other knee. Then he's down, shoots him in the stomach. Yeah. Right. And and this doesn't happen right away. He shoots him in the knee, tells him to leave. He's like, now hop away. He's like, fuck you. I'm not going. All right. Shoots him in the other knee. That still doesn't work. Expressing no pain while being shot in his kneecaps. No, No, at at one point he jumps up on his feet after having lost both of his kneecaps and says, I'm not going anywhere. And then he finally kills him. But it takes forever. Ever. Oh, it's when we meet the director finally. Oh, yes. Because we met his character earlier, played by someone else. Yes. As a pretend. And so he shoots him and he's dead. And uh, But what he says before he dies... Because um, he, he Jeff stands Goldblum. straight... Uh, no, wait, well, actually, no, wait, before... Wait, he does two things. One, he gets, again, shot in the, the stomach. He's down. And then all of a sudden, he just kind of leans up. And he's like, oh, my God. It's all connected. Vic, Mick, Nick. They're all in one. It's mythical. 
And then I think life is yeah, all life this life is beautiful. Yeah. yeah, and then Vic then shoots him again, and then it looks like he dies, and then it's not, and he jumps straight up Stands on up. his feet, and he's like arms full minus out. two knees. Yeah, buddy. Baba Ben London, and I have brass balls that, uh, that brass gr- balls Ben that, London, and I'm this and then blah blah brass balls, balls and, have I. Yeah, and yeah. then he gets shot again, Finally. maybe or just falls forward. Well, he gets dies. shot again by uh, what's his face? Oh no, um, he Nick, does just fall over. And yeah, dies. I think he just yeah. falls over. Yeah. I mean, okay, so now as far as lengthy dinks, uh, oh lengthy what? lengthy dinks, <laughs> lengthy death scenes go. As far as lengthy death scenes. The longest, most beautiful, most poetic death scene ever written for the stage is Cyrano de Bergerac, where it takes almost oh, an entire right. act for him to die and monologue and just move you to tears. The longest, funniest death scene that I've ever seen is Paul Rubens. Uh, in oh, Buffy yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. In uh, uh, the original <gasps> Buffy the Vampire oh. Slayer. So in that strange category of lengthy, epic Memorable death scenes. Gabriel Burns has joined their ranks as the longest, stupidest death scene. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not really anything to brag about, but it does it is a mark of some distinction. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. People are famous for less. So, um, so after he goes, it's uh, basically walking upstairs from where they are. Oh, and by the way, at this point, everybody of consequence is dead except for Vic. The uh, Nick, the real Nick, yeah, Mick, and the Everly sisters. Literally, everyone else in this world is practically gone. I think Angie Everhart is still around because she's yeah. making out with Nick. Because when you're the director, you <coughs> cast the the '90s most glamorous model to make out with. Because that's what you do when you have Joey Bishop's money. Yeah, so. all that money. <laughs> All that, $24. But, so uh, they suddenly go upstairs, Richard Dreyfuss, Jeff Goldblum, and we meet Bert, baby, he's back. Mr. Reynolds is waiting oh, for that's them. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The and guy who's not affiliated with the gang. The only guy who wants to kill him Jackie. who's not part of his gang. Yeah. And uh, they kill him. And, uh, that's but not a, that before a, he gives you his philosophy of life. Oh, yeah. He what was his philosophy? Doesn't give, I don't a, give fuck. a fuck. Ah, yes. yes. Yeah. Birds. With his teeth nearly falling out of his skull. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> he actually does. I don't give a fuck. He does kind of flub a line with an F because his teeth are like trying to like, get the hell out of here. They're he's like got the those little wind people up in teeth. Mark David Chapman's head. Yeah. He's probably like, hey, my polydent started to wear out. Can I ref- we don't have time it's, to reach you. It's melting it. from the lights <laughs> yeah. of the set. <laughs> it's just like bubble gum back there. It's not doing anything. Like- he's just holding it into Big League Chew. He lost all that money in the divorce from Lonnie. <laughs> Anderson. That's really why he's smiling so much because he's clenching his teeth together to keep them from falling out. Oh God, that's fucking grim and probably true. <laughs> he, probably just, he, he probably was supposed to last the entire movie, and then he probably just like, Larry, can I just go home? He's please? like, we already blew our polydent budget. We gotta let Burt Reynolds go. Sleeping on Dom DeLuise's couch. <laughs> so he's whacked, whacked Jackie. Yeah, and uh, then. Jeff Goldblum, finally, we see Diane Lane. He goes to her like, or hey. Because he, it seems like maybe he's going to get killed by Richard Dreyfus, And he says, yeah. uh, hey, uh, meet me at uh, Grace's office at midnight. Yeah. And so he, uh, and they're also, like, he, when uh, him and Richard Dreyfus are talking, did anyone else think that, like, they're going to kiss right now? I didn't think that. You didn't? I, I, I did not. I'm not battling any latent uh, feelings. <laughs> 
I think this says I've just a lot it. about you. Look, you know, there are worse men to be turned on than Richard Dreyfus and Jeff Goldblum. And if that's Richard, your fantasy, I'm not well, going to judge Jeff you. Goldblum is a fox. Yeah. And he, I mean, he is extra horny oh, in this they, movie, they, too. And oh, they yeah. pose him to look all foxy. This is, you know, yeah. remember that famous meme of, you know, uh, him doing that hard lean with his shirt open? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, just imagine that. His energy, that energy is all through this movie. Yes. It's just yeah, a terrible yeah. movie, but it's just like Jeff Goldblum going like, uh, I'm going uh, to just, just recline He's got David Duchovny hair. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's got different hair than I've seen before. Yeah, yeah. It's even like uh, his sideburns are shaved he into has, sort of a it's fucking yeah. David. It's X-Files David Duchovny hair. Well, so it was like the, the 90s. Everybody had that hair. He's the big vein on this movie. <laughs> Jesus. That's what he is, though. <laughs> I mean, he's that the is only thing that's very throbbing. accurate. He's the vein on a Snickers okay, bar of this movie. Well, we got it. We got it. Um, so they he, they're going to take away the dick vein on those now that they've corrected the M and M's. Well, speaking of which, that's a good transition. They're going to go to the D and uh, <laughs> and uh, but he convinces Diane Lane to come there because why? Because they. There, everyone knows also that Vic's like, oh yeah, he wants to kill us, but let's go meet him. Like, yeah. what the hell are you doing? Because we also we do see that when he asks her to show up, it's like, hey, uh, you need, to, I need you tomorrow. He's been fucking Diane Lane during the day and her sister Ellen Barkin at night. Yeah. I, so really, it's the story about two schizophrenics in love. They're in a both way, fractured because uh, they all turn out to be the most important characters. Yeah. And so they, they all meet in this one room together where it does feel like a therapy scene mm-hmm. when they're all like trying to be truthful. It's like, hey, it's good to be uh, finally telling the truth here. And uh, Oh, that, like, yeah, Larry Bishop's character before he's killed yeah. goes, this telling the truth shit feels pretty good. Anybody else got something to say? Yeah, because they, they talk I about- hate my father. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, behind the camera, Joey Bishop's going, I don't know why he wrote this shit. I mean, I, I'm right here. I would love that. That's why I'm weeping. weeping. <laughs> That'd be so great. Let me tell you how I hated my father. It's like, I'm a producer on this, you little <laughs> schmuck. So, Richard Drivers then, he like has the tables turned on Jeff Goblin. It looks like he's going to kill him. But then he pulls the gun on himself. And I'm like, oh, fuck, is Richard Drivers going to kill himself? And he doesn't. And he gets with Diane Lane, Jeff Goblin. Get, uh, walks out. Ellen Barkin meets him out in the alleyway, and they both walk away. And, and they're it, both like, "How much was this was bullshit?" The oh, last you, few days. You've yeah. also missed the part. You've cut out the part where they're in this tense thing because they're having like the desk shootout. Except now they're having in these nice little love chairs or whatever they're called, love seats or whatever. Yeah. And then suddenly Ellen Barkin barges into the room. Oh God! Damn. And goes like Nick, Vic, Mick, yick, 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 and I'm like. What okay. the hell? They even comment on that later and then in the alley. It comes up is, again. And she's like, I made it up on the spot. And it's like, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Larry loves his rhymes. His rhymes, his alliterations, his um, poor choice of words. Poetry. His Poetry. They should have sent a poet. It is so. They should have fucking... sent anybody to rewrite this. <laughs> it didn't have to be a poet. God. His father should have tried to rewrite <laughs> That would have been amazing. God. Uh, a bishop joint. And uh, so then the last shot of the movie, it's like Richard Dreyfus and Diane Lane are together and they're like looking over the alleyway, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then the camera. they're all, Yeah, they're on the fire escape. Yeah, like it does. Also, the editing in this movie is fucking batshit. Yeah, what uh, do you call those kinds of edits? I, like, I just call them stagger push-ins. I don't know if that's the actual term. It's almost like, like they shot a wide of these two people and thought, you know, it would be really cool if we 
so sort of if Move we did in. A, if we dollied in, but we didn't think to do that. So we're just going to optically zoom in. But you know what? That's boring and kind of looks fake. So what if we just do this thing where it's like you're cl- you're cl- far away and then you just cut to the same angle. I think it's called an ac- it's an axial cut actually. Yeah. And it's just like a series of like so instead of getting in a push in onto his face, it's like this like the avid just burped and just suddenly leap forward three times. Right. And, you and know, it, it happens multiple times in the movie yeah. and it only ever happens to Richard Dreyfus, which is another clue until that this it's is happening on, in his brain. Until yes. it's on his eye and yeah. then I think we get... We go into space We again. go back into space. Right. Yeah. The only time the space thing comes back. And it doesn't you know, articulate uh, that it is all in his head. Right. Like you just kind of assume it, like it is. It happens Or it is head. a literal parallel universe <laughs> and this is horrible sci-fi. Oh, oh, fuck! Because he says it's it's like oh, there's like, a, somewhere I, out in the universe. This is Star Trek. There's a parallel. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like that horrible Star Trek episode where they just went to like the gangster planet, and they're just <laughs> stuck in that casino the whole fucking time. Oh my God, Burt Reynolds is in that episode too. Oh my God, I think you're right. Yes. Oh wow, it all comes. Wait, you know, was Burt Larry, in Star Trek? Larry Bishop knew that. Uh, I think he was. I, wow. I think he Wait, was. Really? I was. I oh. thought I was joking. Oh no, I thought no, like but very the, young Burt in the, the original. Maybe not Burt, but there was some act, other actor in there who I think later on became a little bit bigger, who was just kind of a, a bit part. But I could be conflating it. It's been a long time sure. since I've seen any of the original series. But my point is that, yeah, he does start off with this weird outer space uh, montage. It's very brief. And then the voiceover narration, which I assume is Dreyfus talking about it somewhere. sounds like you're doing a soft there, voice. Yeah. 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 Somewhere soft Brooklyn thing. There was yeah, another yeah. universe with a parallel universe. And, you know, in that universe, Vic was happy. So I'm assuming we're not seeing that movie because this is definitely not the universe in which Vic is happy. And then all I could hear was chopper sick balls because uh, that's all I think of when I hear Richard Dreyfus narrating anything. Chopper sick balls? Oh, ball? right. Wait, what is that? That's Stand By Me. Remember he's, Richard yeah. Dreyfus oh, plays yes, 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 the yes, Will. Yes. Uh, Richard Dreyfus plays the Will Whedon character as an adult. That's, That's him right. narrating. And him and Rob Reiner being in this. And too. Rob Reiner was who shows up because they had a history. This is the first. Oh wait, of two mob movies. Richard Dreyfus was the one with Burt Reynolds. Do you remember the crew? Oh, oh my god! Because Richard Dreyfus is doing the same. Oh kind wait of a voice. minute. Now, we established that Larry Bishop was, once upon a time, a comedy partner of Rob Reiner. So right. that's their connection. Mm-hmm. And there is one. I mean, he literally has one scene. It's a worthless, useless scene of him just driving. And again, talking about his philosophy of life, which is like, hey, I just laugh and then I feel better. Rob Reiner is driving. And in the back, it's Richard Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. What if Richard Dreyfus is in this movie because he met Rob Reiner on that? Wait, no, 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 no. It can't be possible. Because uh, 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 Stand By Me was earlier. Yeah. Shit, I'm trying to figure out how he got Rob Reiner, but Larry Bishop maybe Rob Reiner connection. Well, like maybe Larry Bishop talked to Rob Reiner, like, "Hey, can you get Richard Dreyfuss to do this?" Yeah, maybe that's. I'm trying yeah. to find the connection. Like, how did he? How does he go back to Dreyfuss? How does he get Kyle MacLachlan? He probably how does just he like, get Gordon? Dad. Can you like? Call like everyone you know, and Joey only has to call Sinatra. Joey does not know anyone else of importance hey, except for Frank. Yeah, like <laughs> literally, pretty much. He was yeah. hosting like you know bowling of the network stars in the seventies. <laughs> he definitely didn't have enough pull to get Jeff Goldblum in a movie. <laughs> 
So I guess that brings us to recycling, where, uh, as you know, audience, we take elements of this movie. Do and, they know? Uh, they do. Turn it into something better, hopefully. Now, just off top, does anyone... Off top? Off top, yeah. This is that is a new a, phrase you get? It's a Swahili. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I don't know. Uh, no, what? so just off the top of your head, do you have off an top. immediate, immediate, like, I know how to make this better, because I have one. If you, oh, you have do. a copy of this on DVD, I'm sure they would make very good uh, guitar picks. You could probably recycle <laughs> that into guitar picks. Um, I think you do this movie okay. a generation before, oh, and this is a Rat Pack, pack movie. Yeah, you knew this was coming, yeah, right? This, this is what coming. I was thinking as soon as See, we started I told it. you. This is, yeah, this it was is either exactly. going to be old people or a musical, and he went the old people Hey, route. you always do I the musical. that's what Mickey Look. Juan was. Or, no, no, that's a little bit different. But yeah, I mean... There's a, probably a time when, you know, can you imagine Joey Bishop pitching this to Frank Sinatra and I mean, Dean Martin? After Joey, all the beatings, yeah, like after all the beatings, yeah, it's like, we'll give you the money because you bled so good. Yeah. It's like, you're going to play Vic and Dino will play Mick and then yeah. we'll have this guy Frank, Frank is uh, Jeff Goldblum. Yes. Yeah. Dean Martin is going to be uh, Gabriel Byrne. Uh, yeah, yeah. Richard Dreyfus has got to be an older guy that they respect. He's going to be Bing Crosby. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And you be, could see and him because be crazy. it's the '60s and they're racist. They would just cast Sammy Davis Jr. in the Gregory Hines role. Yes, like and the black guy. Like, hey, uh, we can't afford to pay you as much, and we're still going to kill you pay? earlier in the movie. We're not going to pay you, is what we're trying to tell you. We're filming this movie in the South, so. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so okay, and then Shirley MacLaine as Ellen Barkin. <laughs> I like that. I like that. She, she was hanging out with no, those Ava buddies. Gardner. Ooh, Ava Gardner is way sexier. No, she is. So she'd be Diane Lane. Yeah, she'd be Diane Lane. Well, and I then think she Ellen and Barkin Frank was would... way sexier than Diane Lane in this movie. Me too. I think Ellen Barkin is a much sexier person. Like I, Diane Lane She's is beautiful. Sultry. Yeah, yeah. But Ellen Barkin. Will make you like you believe feel. she's a freak. Well, that's the thing is like in the movie when they have that scene on the car, she's like, magnetic. God damn it! Like they feel like they're going to literally fuck the shit out of each other right like, now. I believe that. That's the only thing that was improvised, yeah. and it worked. Yeah. yeah, like you know, Jeff's like, uh, let me just uh, slip the tip here. You know, just well, a little like, bit. This you made know, just me a little bump and grind. Like the movie a little more than I would have if I hadn't been a little like my nipples were hard. Look, I know they're all professional actors. Their chemistry in this movie. If I was Gabriel Byrne, I'd be like, what the fuck? Because they fucked. They must have. Well, certainly I mean, Gabriel Byrne did. Well, yeah, well, yeah, right, yeah. but but Gabe watched. Yeah, he, maybe he's into that. I he was know. cucking. Uh, you know, before it was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Early, I don't know why I'm why doing Doctor Evil. Evil. <laughs> I thought it was. I think I'm having a stroke. I thought that was Gabriel Byrne's accent. I mean, I was having a stroke watching it. But, but yeah, but make this like make it sillier first off, because this movie is supposed to be funny. Dude, I guess. I if, I feel like if you made it sillier, it it goes on like the whole uh, like meet the Hollowheads kind of rally. Like they think they're being really really funny and like. But oh. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like bringing in a director like Frank Tashlin, who used to do the Looney Tunes and did like a Marx Brothers movie and uh, the Girl Can't Help It and some of that <laughs> stuff. Mm-hmm. Make it more overtly a human cartoon with okay. actors that are more nightclub performers. Yeah. And I think that movie would work. I think he was going for a tone that didn't land, despite the fact that it had this amazing cast. Yeah. And he seemed to be 
wanting everybody to play big. Yeah. But not everybody was doing the same level. He just needs a bunch of nightclub entertainers to be playing at the like top volume. I, right. I think Henry Silva might be the one actor in this movie who just dialed into that. Where he's like, yeah. just start laughing. He's like, okay, I'll laugh maniacally before they kill me. And then I'll spend half the movie just pretending to be taking a nap. And he's in Rat Pack movies. Like, he's yeah, the only person yeah. of that era he's that's in that this era. movie. Oh, really? Yeah. That's true. Oh, wow. He's in Robin and the Seven Hoods. His whole career was playing gangsters or Native Americans, which is definitely something you would not see today. <laughs> I'm surprised he was not a, the Paul Anka role at that point. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, who would? Oh, who would? Whoopi Goldberg Paul? would play that part <laughs> in the new <laughs> Like, like, honestly, who... Oh, who, my God. If you're making this as a uh -oh. Rat Pack era movie, who do you cast as Paul Anka? Who do you mm. cast as the singer? Because to me, well, Tony, you know... Tony Bennett would be the singer of that era yeah, if you made yeah, the movie yeah, yeah. exactly today. He, right. You would cast him. No, no, no. It would be Frank Sinatra <clears throat> Jr.'s because let's just keep it all oh. in the family. With Desi Arnaz Jr. on the drums. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> No, it's all the juniors. It's all the awesome. That's rands. what this movie is. It's the second generation of all of the Rat Pack nightclub entertainers. It's of a certain it's, it's, if you it's, did it today. It's like Muppet Babies, only Rat Pack Babies. Rat Pack Babies. Can you buy a cigarette? Rat Pack Babies. I got a world on a swing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, yeah. That's pretty good. I, I was thinking of... Um, uh, you know, the way that James Cameron uh, didn't call Aliens Alien 2 is like, oh, just put an <laughs> S on it. And they're like, oh, Mad Dog Times. Oh, but okay. if it was written by Shane Black, and if Shane Black did this, I think this would be like, okay, that's the voice you need that has like a perfect balance of drama, action, and comedy in a film like this, where he would have made the dueling thing actually interesting. Now... The reason now I'm saying this, this isn't funny. Like it feels like it's like, oh no, that actually, I think that could work. Uh, -huh. uh but I think it would still be funny if because is Larry Bishop? Yeah, Larry Bishop is alive, right? Yes. Okay. He's well, at least a guy on Twitter named Larry Bishop is. He, there is. He, he, needs, he wants to fuck his pillow. He needs. <laughs> he needs. He needs to do a sequel to this movie. He's got I googly think, eyes on it and a wig from Party City. I, I think, and I, he calls it Ellen. <laughs> he, and a flashlight. Okay. Uh, he needs to do a sequel to this movie. I think that's how you just make it or continue it. So what would the sequel to Mad Dog Time be called? Uh, Mad Dog Times. <laughs> oh, damn it. Alien Aliens. You that's did what it. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. talking about. So, I mean, but you get you try to get all the actors that are still alive to be to play their roles still alive. So Richard Dreyfuss, J uh, Jeff Goldblum, um, Ellen Barkin, Diane Lane. Mm -hmm. um, Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. All the major Well, he's already dead. But he can come back as a ghost because who gives a shit? And, uh, it's all in his head anyway. It's all in his head yeah. anyway. Yeah, so most of the major actors from this movie are still alive. Yeah. So like, I think they can go back and he's having another episode, but later in life. And so all these kind of characters. Now we can address oh. that they're all in his head and they're all trying to figure out what to do about him like really losing his mind and actually inching towards death as an older man. And uh, yeah, I think it'd be like that where there's still some kind of like gangster stuff involved where they're trying to figure out, you know, if someone should live or someone should not. So it's all about, you know, accepting death 
uh, at the end of your life. So I mean, it's it's another reboot, but it's about letting go. Yeah. And Instead it's, of it's, revisiting it's what a, was behind, because this isn't Beloved. People aren't nostalgic for it. No. This is, I'm teaching you a new lesson. It's a completely unnecessary isn't reboot. Isn't that what the new Matrix was about? I haven't watched it yet, but that's what oh, I hear. Have you watched it? I watched it, yeah. What did you think? I So I've only seen the first one, and I saw it about 20 years after the original yeah which is weird that you're like the only person on yeah. earth who has not seen the matrix at that so point. me going into it only knowing the parodies really dampered my experience with the movie yeah yeah that's unfortunate um yeah so i feel like i missed out on something important you, you did. did you did you really did you really yeah. did um but resurrections is like the first movie i've ever seen where they're like openly the whole movie itself and then in the movie they openly say fuck you to warner brothers and they do yes they do like yeah, one Prince, of the characters but prince did that before oh right oh yeah. when writing he slave his on his face right doing, yeah. yeah i mean so there, there's a long rich tradition of like telling Warner but the Brothers movie did off. that how because one so the the idea of matrix resurrection spoilers for spoilers. Matrix resurrection i'm yeah. sure you didn't expect that when you saw the title of this episode <laughs> you had to put it in the description of the show like by the way they talk about matrix resurrection. no no this is how you this is Without, let's not even go into the Matrix Revolutions or Resurrections or whatever the fuck it is. Iterations, I don't care. <laughs> Matrix iterations. iterations. <laughs> but you just made me think of something right. Okay. Now, there are movies that, as I said, there was that period in the 90s where after Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, a lot of people were trying to make kind of Tarantino-esque type crime films usually with a scrambled narrative structure, a lot of arch dialogue, and a lot of world building for like these weird, quirky sort of mobsters. Yeah. A, a lot of them didn't work. Some were mixed bags. I mean, like you know, things to do in Denver when you're dead kind of come to mind. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. 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 But one that, one that came out Baby not too her. long ago, uh, which also starred Jeff Goldblum and, uh, 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 my goodness, Cut out this long pause. No, it's okay. We're keeping it in. <laughs> we need to pad out no, the no, time. No, no. I'm trying to think. No, I, I think we don't need to pad out the time. <laughs> uh, 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 Academy Award winner. Uh, 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 God damn it. I've had too many beers. That's with Jeff Goldblum. She, 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 she was... She was uh, in uh, Silence of the Lambs. What? Jodie Foster? Jodie Foster. Why did I blank on Jodie Foster? Wait, Jeff Goldblum, Jodie Foster joint. Yeah. Oh, it, oh, it was oh, called. Oh. It was called uh, the, uh, the the hotel something. Yeah, hotel. With, like Charlie Day. Charlie Day's in Such it. Such a love. Yes, oh, I know. Day's in it. Artemis. Hotel Artemis. Artemis. Hotel. Yes. Okay. Because it looked good and was terrible. Yeah. I, I didn't think it was terrible, but it also well, to I me. I heard it was. I didn't watch it. I, I, I saw it. I thought Ryan. it was interesting. Not great, but interesting. But it also felt like a. It felt like it was inspired. <laughs> like it got green lit because they had so much success with the John Wick movies. They're like, uh, oh, yeah. how about this weird universe of gangsters where like seemingly everyone in the world is a gangster, and there's this bizarre hospital <sighs> where they can all go to. And Jeff Goldblum is this, uh, uh, you know, major uh, mobster who's being brought in and. Uh, Jodie Foster is the doctor whose job it is to treat everybody, no questions asked. You know, you have like a special pass if you're in the, a member of the gangster world. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a hospital just for gangsters that's under high security. That movie kind of made that tone of like gangster flick, but this sort of arch alternate reality kind of work. And I kind of feel like the energy of that could have worked a lot better if we are talking about recycling Mad Dog. Because sure. you can make this sort of bizarro huh. world 
where like you have mobsters and like I mean I feel that way about the John Wick movies I don't know how fucking money works in John Wick's universe it's just gold coins gold coins it's like somebody throws a gold coin and to buy like a glass of whiskey and then but they also use it to buy like a like a machine gun yeah. it's like that doesn't make any fucking sense to and, me. and like and hot tatted uh, pinup girls are like the admins of the hitman world and like yeah. what the fuck is happening but, but again it, it established this bizarre world with its own rules and it just totally leaned into it and committed <sighs> to it this movie doesn't really feel committed to it it feels like it's I don't think Larry Bishop really knows about world building. I think he's kind of trying to do that, where like, oh, we have this very ritualized way of like settling scores. Uh, where well, and he shoots, sit he at shoots desks. everything really like flat too, so it's not interesting yeah. looking. So like that, the idea of it when you first pitch it, it's like, oh, okay, and then you see you're like, oh, that didn't work. Yeah, because it's not communicated to us yeah. through visuals. But, no. but but that's not any more insipid or bizarre or illogical as like a hotel just for gangsters or a secret world of hitmen where you can pay for everything with gold coins and no one ever gives change i don't believe in a universe where no one gives change like here's a gold coin keep the change i'm like i think you just paid him like a couple hundred bucks for like a fucking glass of maker's mark i what are you in new york you know hey you know it's like (laughs) hey it's like i come on i'd be sitting there going uh don't you owe me some change like nobody does that we don't do change in this world but again, it, it, it's no this, bronze or silver back. Yeah, you know, it's like I, I think I just bought ten drinks. Can you just put those on my tab? It, it's one they of those... hand you a chicken, a live chicken. <laughs> See, I think Fair. that if it's if it's uh, you, when you were talking about that, uh, like John Wick and like that style, and uh, and like the world building they're putting into it, I was like, you know what, this also reminds me of. Just, I mean, in a way, and it's still not a great movie too. Is Smoke and Aces by Joe Carahan or Ke- oh, yeah, Carnahan? Yeah. Is that with Jeremy Piven? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think he's like smoking aces. Or like he's See, aces. I can't picture the movie you're talking about. Cause it's it's like, like is this lucky is... number Slevin? Yeah, yeah. Is that what it's, I'm thinking it, of? Yeah, no, it's not the same thing. But uh, it's like all these hitmen are coming after uh, Jeremy Piven's character because he's an informant for the FBI. Okay. And uh, and they all like they're all kooky and weird. Yeah. And uh, so it feels like, okay, if Shane Black wrote it and Joe Carnahan directed it, think it could actually work. Actually, I think this would work more by uh, the guy who wrote uh, Seven Psychopaths in Bruges, uh, Martin... Uh... Oh, you want to make it a good movie. Okay. Well, isn't that what we're talking about? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Uh, I mean, I mean, Ma- what... Martin McDonough? Or... Yeah. 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 Like, oh, my God. saw a friend of ours in a play of his years yeah. ago. It was so crazy. No, like, locally. Amazing. Just, no, he's a great playwright. Yeah. And uh, that's what he was first. He was a playwright, but he always had this sort of hard-boiled dialogue. Because he's you know, from the theater. So, but he's yeah. from the theater, but he's also... Uh, an, Irishman watching American movies and kind of like romanticizing this sort of gangster lifestyle and that patois and kind of bordering the edge of what looks like reality, but also a kind of absurdism. Yeah. And this definitely has a theater of the absurd feel to it. And like the the flourishes of like philosophy or trying to get to that and his like plays and screenplays like, has tons of that in it's there. Just every all of those things are, are written in crayon in this. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, it, yes, exactly. There's no this, finesse. And, and I give Larry uh, Bishop some credit because he lived in a world uh, where Martin McDonough was not yet a, a well-known author and playwright, and where we didn't have John Wick movies or Hotel Artemis or anything or anything like that. Yeah. So in a way, he's ahead of the curve. 
Uh, that's what's but so he depressing. doesn't really stick the landing. He's yeah. like, man, this is there. There's certain movies that are bad, and you see them, and you can certainly see his influences in this movie. And you go, okay, I know you're trying to make a good movie. I believe in my heart, everybody tries to make a good movie, even though they fail, even though they may be incapable. In their heads, they're making a good movie as best as they can. However, he doesn't have the talent to pull off what some of these other guys have done. And if we think about it, those premises aren't any more dopey or, you know, harder to believe. It's just they had enough talent that the dialogue really worked. The performers could, you know, convincingly convey those feelings, that dialogue, those emotions. And you just kind of buy into the world that they've created. Sure. Larry Bishop doesn't have that skill set yet. But rather than, like, I don't believe for a second any of these other filmmakers I've mentioned watched Mad Dog Time and thought, I can do that and do it better. They probably never seen this movie. I'd like to believe that they did watch it. And they were like, I'm inspired. But they'll never admit it. And and, and the thing is, the reality is they they didn't watch it. Nobody watched it. Like I said, we're we're probably less of, we're we're probably like, there's maybe 10,000 people in the world since 1996 who've seen this movie, and we're three of them. Well, and the thing is, we're the only three that did not have a threat from the mob (laughs) to to watch it. You're going to go to the premiere, right? It's like, uh, no, I'm I'm busy. Like, you're going to the premiere, right? That's what I'm saying. We need the mob behind us, because in the old days the mob guys were really keeping show business afloat yeah. they were good to us us show business types yeah they were good fellas yeah oh <laughs> we could work in their casino oh, oh. I mean, you could we were cape fear am i doing it right no no yeah it's, uh, it's fine the it's game fine. isn't to just mention martin scorsese movies Wolf that's not Wall how Street? this works after the, hours the de- departed oh. shutter island <laughs> the interview with although you know, silence actually the shutter shutter island is a much more uh, apt comparison given that, that we're dealing with a character who oh, might yeah. actually be having a psychological so yeah, yeah. All fuck you yeah no it's right <laughs> yeah all right that's that's yeah fuck me mind uh, you that that is the only time where anyone's going to compare this to a scorsese film just to like you see there's an example of a movie where they oh, did no. it well otherwise no. it's just like Italian. Here's the thing. It's not the first time that's ever been compared to a Scorsese movie. I bet you Larry Bishop was like, oh, it's just like a Scorsese movie. It's like the, no, the guy he, you know through a He thought it was a Tarantino Dad? film. It's like it's a Tarantino film and a Rat Pack film and a, a Scorsese film. And and, it, and, well, it's, right. and Joey Bishop's like Tarantino. Who's that? You you know that he tried to do some Scorsese because he did all those like kind of push-ins uh, all the time like that Scorsese does. Uh, and that is how Scorsese has a family. A lot of push-ins. <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, now, I follow his granddaughter on TikTok. Now the pullouts should, on the other hand. Oh yeah. Around. Well, he's bad at the. He's good at the push-ins. <laughs> bad at the pullouts. Uh, his pullout game is weak, son. I, I mean, you know, Mel Gibson has like eight or nine kids, so his pullout game Jesus is Christ, really is he weak. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. He's his, very Catholic and very, very horny yeah. and productive. Yeah. His pullout game is not the only thing that's weak. Uh, uh, I of, think his, of all the famous directors that I can think of, I think Mel Gibson has the most progeny. I think of all the directors working in the last century, uh-huh. those with the weakest pullout game was Vincent Minnelli, but it was all in <laughs> men's butts. So there are no children except for Liza. 
Which kind of makes her a miracle baby. She is a miracle, and she's you know a true what? love child. Liza is going to go on tour soon. Also, and I will save up so much money. To oh see my God, Liza, that corpse propped up in a director's chair and sing. And Liza dated Scorsese and worked with Scorsese. Yeah. So even Liza got like, yeah, I know Scorsese. This ain't Scorsese. I love. There's a story where she went to uh, Halston's apartment. She knocked on the door, banging it down. He opens it, and she's saying, "I'm so upset." I ran into so-and-so, this dancer, and he accused me of cheating on him with Marty. And I didn't. Oh, no, not that I didn't. It's like, I'm so upset that he did that. Do you have any cocaine? And he gave her some cocaine, and Martin Scorsese was hiding in the hallway, and he walks over and he goes, thank you. And they, <laughs> they walk away with the, the cocaine together, and then they did it, and I assume other oh, stuff. Liza Minnelli should be in this. She should be the Diane Lane character. She should. Look, we got to wrap this up. Okay, sorry. All right, so the next and final segment is Trash Takeaway. What did you learn from watching this movie or even just the experience of being here today? So uh, does anyone have anything they want to say first? It's just a... Mythical, all this together and okay, all, connected. All, moving on connected. Uh, <laughs> from that. To reiterate something that we said earlier, I learned that you can cash in every favor you have if you're a famous person, <laughs> mm -hmm. but you are then obligated to make a good movie. You could have all the elements. Somebody could give any one of us, you know, millions of dollars and access to some of the world's biggest up and coming stars. Maybe if we make a good movie, we're going to have a career. And if we fail, we're not going to get a lot of second chances. Could Larry Bishop have made a better movie than this? Maybe. But as far Maybe. as I can tell, he never had the opportunity to do so again. Certainly not with this level of money, yeah. with this level of talent at his disposal. So really, if you're going to shoot your shot, do so. But man... Just having a bunch of marquee names and some nice locations and a really enviable soundtrack of pre-approved hits from some of the greatest era Daddy's of American friends. music uh, is not going to make a viable no. picture. I think the guy tried to make a good movie. I think in his heart he thought he was doing something interesting. But ultimately, I think the only thing good that came out of it is that for a few weeks... He could get away from his therapist and just do his own therapy <laughs> behind the camera. Right. Um, right. What do you think? I learned that, um, that in 1996, it was still okay to brown up like Paul Anka <laughs> in yeah. Mad Dog Time. And I did. I also learned that Gabriel Byrne can be annoying, like in a character. I really didn't like him. At yeah, this. and. And um and awkward. It's like it's like a cringe BBC comedy of like of that kind of a character. A cringe like, BBC comedy. Yeah, like um like the the British Office when someone's saying something super awkward. Oh, you're just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, oh okay. God, what are you doing? And him doing that is like, oh, what the oh, fuck? Okay, I have to say one thing, and I cannot believe I'm doing this. I have to say I one this thing in defense of Paul Anka. Okay, Paul Anka. He's the Rachel playing... Dozel of his generation. <laughs> I, I think the cornrows were a bit much, but uh, no, especially the ones on his head. Yes, <laughs> the other ones we only could imagine. Yes. Uh, Special features, but 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 <sighs> he is playing himself. He is announced. No, no, he's called he's Danny. 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 But, but, he's, but we who, know he's Paul he? Anka. Yeah. 
We know that he's under all that makeup. We know he's Paul Anka. So he's not like it's not like in the Sammy Davis Jr. role. Here's Paul Anka. It's no. That would be more appropriate. I, I oh. don't think it's true brown Gouge face. Gouge out one of his eyes. I no, just think he's just got a weird... Tad- it's just a really yeah. unfortunate Like George tan. Hamilton. George Hamilton, yeah. It's just like George Hamilton's more orange. Paul Anka ended up just looking brown. More Gandhi-esque. He's more he, he Kente looks, than Kunta. He, he, he looks like a background extra in a scene from, you know... Uh, <laughs> in a scene from Lawrence of Arabia, here's all these Brits who are dressed He's up like sand. Arabs. <laughs> oh, no, 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 the sand is much lighter in color. Let's be honest. So the sand is Burt Reynolds. <laughs> so I learned that, yeah, you can get an all-star cast of all your dad's friends and contacts and everything, but if you think that you are smarter than you can communicate to the rest of us. It doesn't matter if you're actually smart in real life. Like, if I sat down and talked to him, and he's very warm and bright, and there's all these things, if he can't translate that into fiction, he should not be writing fiction. No. No. So you just you just learned that he's an idiot. No, Larry, no that's Larry. not what he's saying. That's not what I'm saying, Larry. Larry, I love you. I would love to get drinks with you. I want to talk about your abusive father. And your abusive <laughs> uncle, Frank Sinatra, and your other abusive uncle, Dean Martin, and your good uncle, Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> and just, you know what? Go ahead, fuck his pillow with him. <laughs> I want to fuck my pillow. And not the one that remembers my impression the way a my pillow will. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I want something new. I want to make a new impression on a, a pillow with flowers in it or... I think, that, I think mm-hmm. what you're trying to say is you want to make a hole. You want to make a hole in the pillow, a which is where the, you put the fleshlight. I want to make a hole at the bottom of the sea, <laughs> a hole in the bucket at the bottom of the sea. This is Eric Samaniego oh, and the rest of us saying, uh, why are you still here? <laughs> did you finish it? <laughs> oh, so did uh, would you guys recommend watching this movie? Above pillow fucking? <laughs> no. I mean, it depends what you're in the mood for. <laughs> What, How what? nice is your pillow? <laughs> How, what mood? Is it one of those, you... so long as it's not one with memory foam, because I don't want that pillow remembering anything. Like, yeah. I, I don't really. I would like it foaming, though. I, <laughs> I, I don't know any other reason to watch this movie, except if you're doing a podcast about ba- Yeah, there's no reason movie. to watch it, because all these actors that you're like, they're in the same movie? Not worth seeing it. <laughs> no. Richard Dreyfuss and Jeff Goldblum sharing scenes together? Was about as boring as that could ever have been. Yeah. But it is fun watching Jeff Goldblum like just play fuck me eyes with Ellen Barkin. Right. Like, but also, there's pornography on the internet. <laughs> so if that's what you're looking for, look for a guy that's lanky, has a big nose and dark hair, I reckon... and some blonde, which won't be hard. I can send you links. Oh, it'll be hard. <laughs> well, oh. life finds a way. <laughs> well, there it is. Uh, uh, all right. Well, good night or good day. Good day. Uh, hey, Marco. Hey, thank you. Thank for you doing so much this. for doing oh, the show. Hey. Oh, fuck both of you for yeah. making me watch this. <laughs> hey, hey. It wasn't our fault. You brought you this. You picked it. You picked look, it. Look. All you did was you brought me in here and said we are going to torture you, but you may choose the instruments by which you will be tortured. Which is fair. Which is very fair. But you still <laughs> picked your. Fair. 
your instrument. Yeah, I, I picked the one that I was sort of morbidly curious about. So I can yeah. check this off the box because otherwise, I would have never, <laughs> I would have never willingly subjected myself to this. So thank Which you again for most of our guests. <laughs> thank you for helping me scratch this horrible itch. So you're oh, yeah. welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> a Gal Gadot to you. Actually, a Gal Gadot to you. I do have a horrible itch that you could help me with uh, after. <laughs> Enough champagne to I fill the Nile. I can't reach it. My my arms are short, right? I need <laughs> scratch my back, and I'll scratch yours. Yeah. But I may not need you to scratch my back. Like giving it's a T Rex a hand job. Much lower. <laughs> Jurassic pork. Oh. Intro song Too Easy and outro song Charlotte's Web, both provided by the wonderful White Ghost Shivers. Please follow them on all social media outlets as well as find their music wherever great music is sold.